0: You are listening to season two, episode sixteen of the Attempt Adventure Podcast, a podcast all about travel, finding adventure every day, and seeking out adventurous ways to make life more interesting. From Bangkok, Thailand, I'm your host, Michael DeRosiers, joined as always by my friend and
1: my co-host, James Barrett, currently in Dallas, Texas.
0: All well, right, James. Before we get into our episode today, which is about some of the adventures that you yourself have been on in your professional career as an archaeologist, which uh, I don't you know. You didn't if
1: get our... paid, so I guess it's not well... professional.
0: <laughs> we'll talk about that. Before we get into that, James, did you do anything new or adventurous this week? You know what? No. Okay. Wheel of penalty. Here we go. All right. Let me go to my page that I've made here. Embedded wheel. Okay. Round and round it goes, James. You have gotten oh, plan an overnight trip for the other guy to do. One Ooh. night trip. Okay, James, so you have to plan a trip for okay. me somewhere from Bangkok. you got to research how to get there, where to stay, what to do for a one night trip. Just some travel planning. Alrighty. Yeah, that'll be fun. And uh, yeah. maybe I'll even try to make it happen. Maybe I'll do it. So <laughs> we'll talk about that next week. That'd oh be- yeah, that's
1: the thing. It just says plan. It doesn't say they have to do it.
0: Well, so as long as you don't make it like some super luxury trip, James, I might do it. So you can do anywhere. Yeah. Take me somewhere I've never been. Plan a one-night trip from Bangkok. Okay. Plus, take, take the train, whatever. <laughs> That'll be fun. All right. Be fun.
1: I'll work on that.
0: That's a fun one. I like that one, actually. We haven't had that one before.
1: Mm-mm. Usually I'm like, oh, God, penalty. But this time, like, yeah, that's fun.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, what about you, Michael? Did you do anything new?
0: I did. I did do something new, actually. And this was just yesterday. So yesterday I went to Koh Kret, which is an island, but it's an island in Bangkok. So there's a point north of Bangkok where there is a very large bend in the Chao Phraya River. And a couple hundred years ago, they dug a canal to shorten that bend for transportation purposes, which turned this area into an island, cut it off from the rest of uh, Thailand. So I went there yesterday. Kho Kret. It's in Nantaburi, which is really the province north of Bangkok. It's basically part of Bangkok. Kho Kret is interesting. It's a very quiet little island, neat little community. You have to take a boat to get there. It was very quiet because it was a weekday and there wasn't much going on. It's mostly open on the weekends. There's mostly markets and stuff. So we kind of wandered around and we're like, there's no restaurants. There's like no cafes. <laughs> but what makes this place interesting is that the people there are not ethnically Thai. They're Mon. M-O-N, Mon. So they're from like Western Thailand, Southern China, and Myanmar, that area, traditionally. And they settled here a long time ago, but they have preserved a lot of the culture. And so the temples there are like Mon-style temples. They're not like Thai-style temples. But what they're really famous for is their traditional Mon ceramics. They make pottery in this really beautiful traditional style. One of the things that was opened was one of the little pottery studios. So my wife and I were exploring, and we walked up to this one little pottery studio to see what was going on. And there were just these two guys sitting out there drinking whiskey. <laughs> and we were like, uh, it's like 10 a.m. <laughs> That's all right. Hey, who am I to judge? I had rum on the show a couple weeks ago. And <laughs> they were like, do you want to make a pot? And we were like, yeah, sure. And they're like, it's okay. It's 100 bot, and you get to keep what you make. And we we're like, okay, sure, fine. Showed us how to do it on the spinning wheel. And uh, we made little pots and... Got to take them Mm. home with us. So so that was new. I tried a new art style. I tried Mon Ceramics. Cool
1: little place. I've been looking at it.
0: I'll put pictures of Cochret and of the pots and the pottery and all that on the website as well. So that was new. I got to go somewhere interesting, this little village, and uh, try my hand at a new art form, make some pots.
1: (laughs) Send those to me because I want to see them.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll send them to you right now. Hang on. I'll just do it on the phone.
1: Because when I Google it, people don't take good pictures. That's really cool.
0: It's a good day trip from Bangkok. But again, if you want to go, go on the weekend because like the market wasn't open. Not many of the homestays are open. Actually, last year, Greg Jorgensen from the Bangkok podcast was on the show and he talked about how he likes to ride his bike to Koh Kret and then take a boat back. So it's a great place for that. You can bike up there (laughs) and then uh, have a beer at Chit Beer, which is a very famous brewery up on the island there. And then uh, he said he takes the boat back, which is... uh, I'd like to do that sometime. That sounds uh, nice. Yeah, but I do like Thai boat rides. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. It costs three baht to cross the river. (laughs) Can't beat the price.
1: (laughs) No, you cannot.
0: So that's what I did, James. That was fun. Something awesome. That's That's really cool. It did rain on me though, but that's okay. And finally, I do want to shout out Linda King, our friend and friend of the show. Linda King, the smart travelista has released her travel memoirs. And I would like to share a, that on our website as well. So, uh, She was a great guest, a lot of fun to talk to her, and you can read all about her adventures around the world in her book. So I will share that again on our website. You can find the link on our show notes, attemptadventure.com. Okay, James, so you are a podcaster, podcaster by profession.
1: (laughs) Uh, yeah,
0: um, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think what a lot of people on our show don't know is that you're actually a trained archaeologist.
1: I am. And I do want to preface that because I have a undergraduate degree that is focused in archaeology. I do not have a graduate degree because I chose at the end of the day not to attend grad school. We can get into that in a little bit, but I have been on a few archaeological digs. Nothing crazy. And so i I do have some experience with it. It was what, at one point in my life, I really wanted to do in circumstances, made it so I could not really or it was not very feasible to pursue like most things in most people who end up not doing what they went to school for. I have a liberal arts degree. I do too. <laughs> as does my co-host <laughs> I have a
0: degree in international relations.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so i try my best to keep up with archaeological news just so i don't quite feel like i wasted my time and money but you know what no matter what you get a lot more out of going to college than just a degree oh yeah i will stand by that until ever in my opinion you get more out of it than just a degree and once you get out of it you can't put a price on not saying you have to go to college by all means, if you if your career path and your life path does not take you there, don't worry about it. But I do believe it does help. It made me a very well-rounded person. It introduced me to a lot of things. And I can't say thank you enough to the University of Texas at Arlington. Go Mavericks. Not go Mavericks. <laughs> I, I do so want to yes. say
0: something real quick, James. You mentioned that you're not a professional, but I'd like to talk about the uh, etymology of the word amateur for a moment. Amateur mm-hmm. comes from a French word. Which comes from Latin, and it shares the root word uh, "amour," meaning love. An amateur is someone that loves what they do; they do it for love. They don't do it to make money. They don't do it for um, a career. So, there's nothing wrong with being an amateur. In fact, in a lot of ways, I would argue it's maybe better than being a professional because it's something that you actually yeah. have a passion for.
1: That is interesting. I enjoyed that. Thank you. Because you know, I do, I do have ish moments where I'm like. I I went to school for this and I ended up not doing it you know I applied to a bunch of grad schools I got into them I was going to go twice and at the end of the day decided the career options Mm -hmm. without going all the way to being a professor were not something that I was very interested in the parts that I loved about it were answering questions that hooked me answering questions that intrigued me not saying other archaeology isn't interesting or important, but what got me into it most was being able to choose what I was most interested in and focus. Right. And the reality is most archaeological jobs, if you are not a professor doing your own research, are not that way. You work for a company doing survey where they want to build something, things like that. You don't really do your own research. You don't really do perform your own digs and things like that. There's nothing wrong with that. So ever since then, I've been trying to find my path and we're working on it. We're getting there.
0: Yeah. Well, James, um, I, I want to say this is just for you. Actually, I encountered an opportunity recently and I even sent them an email asking about it. And they're like, you got to have a degree in archaeology. It was volunteer work to help restore and preserve the temples at Angkor Wat Historical Park in Cambodia. It's like a two-week program. They provide food and stuff like that. So maybe, James, next time you come to Thailand, you can go to Cambodia and uh, yeah. can help out restoring some of these ancient Khmer ruins. Uh, which would be fantastic, like working with the Cambodian government. I'll, I'll let you know, but think about that. Yeah. Uh, you'd be able to do it. I was not able to do it. They were like, no, you don't need a <laughs> diplomat who doesn't even have <laughs> any experience and is not actually... We have it. enough of those.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, my study was on basically the peopling of the Americas. So when Homo sapiens arrived in the quote-unquote new world, and I'm not going to really get into... When I think it was for whatever, because people argue over that all, all day long, but I've been to two field schools and I have dug a mammoth, which is not archaeology. That is paleontology, but closely related.
0: That's actually fascinating as well. I mean, it's the same kind of principles. It's the same practice. Like you're still, you're still finding the, I'm I'm sure I'm probably offending both archaeologists and paleontologists, (laughs) but but you're still finding evidence of
1: the past. And the mammoth was really interesting because me and a few people from my school, because we were the closest university to where it was found, we were invited to come. And we don't have a paleontology department or any kind of thing like that, or a master's degree in anthropology or archaeology. So they got undergrads. <laughs> and so when we we were there to not one help dig up the mammoth, but also in case any other, um, in case there was archaeological evidence of humans there um, there were some paleontologists there people from uh waco mammoth oh yeah national monument came down to it so oh, they yeah. were working fantastic on it
0: site really fantastic
1: yeah visit if you can it's great yeah there are a lot of mammoths around this one the one that we dug was in t- really bad shape we ended up not finding anything of you know relevant because it was in a floodplain and so it was not where this this where we found this mammoth was not where it originally died. It had been washed out and anything around it was washed down in floods. We found it because a guy was building a house and he was building his pool and he just found a mammoth.
0: <laughs> it's wild to hear these kind of stories about this. Like, I mean, it happens in the US, but not nearly as much as it happens in Europe. You hear the stories in Europe and it's almost like they're annoyed by it. You have like a British mm-hmm. person and they're like, oh, I was expanding my house and i found some roman coins and i had to call the government it's like you act so put off by this because it's so common but that's really interesting it's like oh we discovered another roman
1: road (laughs) (laughs) see and the thing with mammoths is that there are mammoths everywhere i can guarantee you that there is some mammoth bone within a mile of your house if you live in the u.s that one only lasts we were only there for a couple days just because they didn't really need us but that was definitely one of my most interesting things that I have done. Again, it was in really bad shape. When we got there, we were the three of us that went, we were like, this is gonna be great. Cause what we had in mind was when they have to get like a crane and lift like the mammoth skull out of the ground. Ours was very, very badly like disintegrated. Uh, right. And I think in the end, Waco Mammoth was able to come in and plaster and remove um the two tusks or at least partial tusks because in the rest of it was just too badly disintegrated and just nothing really right. If any paleontologist or archeologist sees this, we were not the ones that dug it originally. It was not done correctly. So don't, don't, uh, don't get don't mad get at me. me. We got there and we were like, what the heck did they do? And <laughs> you know, it's fine. <laughs> I don't really have a whole lot of good pictures of it.
0: Yeah. I can tell what that is sort of. I mean, you can, see can bones there.
1: Yeah, the two tusks yeah. are right there, and then this down here with the caution tape—some for some reason over it. Part of that is a tooth, I believe,
0: oh, wow. and part of the jaw.
1: Wow. And part of the problem was that this is private property. We were given a very strict time frame. Basically, we had like three days to okay. do as much as we can, and then we're going to build the pool, whether it was done or not. Which is unfortunate, but is what it is. And there are a lot of resources if you are interested in archaeology to get involved. Almost every city, county, state has an archaeological society, and you do not have to be professional to join. So I highly recommend it. And I do miss it. Mm-hmm. I miss it a lot.
0: The Mammoth, that was one of your digs. You said you've been on three. What about the other two? What have you... Yeah. What the did other you two
1: were, were field schools. They were both in the same place. But the first is Way Ranch in, right outside Austin, Texas, San Marcos, Texas. I love San Marcos me too great place this one has both historical and prehistoric archaeology what we were interested in was the early native american habitation of the area when we kind of went there at first because we knew there was historical archaeology so we kind of we, we assumed that this area was probably been inhabited for a lot longer than that it's right on the river it's a would be a great place to live And so some of the things we found were like burned rock ovens and a lot of stone tools and things like that. We found some evidence of habitation going back 7,000 ish years. Ah. So very much early for that area. Now it's hard to tell because it is on a river, but the fact that there were burned rock ovens with charcoal that we can carbon date helped a lot. Now, I don't know the dates for that off the top of my head. I'd have to go back and, and remember it, but those, the charcoal oven was not very old, younger than a thousand years, but some of the stone tools that we would find were, types that were not, didn't look right. They were older than that. Now this could just be someone just making their tools, you know, or it could have been something very, or something older, but it's not something that is easily set. And things you need to prove when something was there are, you know, charcoal or, you know, so you can carbon date it. That was sort of got my interest in, in that is like, when did people get to this area, because if they got to this area, this would be where they would live. It was, it would have been nice then. And it's nice. now those questions are what kept me going for a while. You know, people have been in North America for thousands of years. How many thousands of years is up for debate. But in my opinion, I wouldn't be surprised if people were here 15,000 years ago. Not so much like not, maybe not Texas. But right, more, in North more like America,
0: near, near the Bering Strait area, right up in the north.
1: Up there. Yeah. And there's different theories on did North America get populated by the, the land bridge that existed? Did it get populated by people going down the coast? There is some archaeological evidence in Florida that is around 7,000 years old, and that's in Florida. So if people cross the land bridge, to get from Alaska to Florida is going to take a long time.
0: Yeah. I mean, even nowadays that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, now it's a long drive. (laughs) Um, In my opinion, humans have been here for a long time. Again, I do not have an advanced degree in archaeology. I have not done a lot of research on this just from what I have seen and what I believe that is it. I am not by any means an authority on the subject period. The end. So that was the first one I did. It was, it was three weeks learning how to do it, perform a dig, digging, finding new things and Highly recommend if anyone is interested in archaeology to, if you can get into a field school, most of them are universities that do them. So it might be hard to get into a if there's a public one, I don't know, but highly recommended. The second one I did was a year later in the same spot. We weren't originally planning on going back, but there was just so much. We, we didn't expect to find all the things that we did. It raised a lot of questions and we ended up going back and just Kept going. I don't have a ton of stories on that one. It was pretty run of the mill, honestly. We didn't discover anything really new or anything like that. Just a lot of digging, a lot of stone tools. What is an average day like on a dig? From what I remember, you were basically camping, right? You were staying in tents. Yes. We were camping. Um, Most field schools you're going to be camping. Ours was pretty posh, honestly. We were right by a beautiful river where we could swim and relax. Some, a lot of archaeological digs are out in really kind of crappy places. This one was very, very great. So you know we, we've say intense, wake up, breakfast, a lot of coffee, and then go to the dig. You have your square that you work in and you set a goal basically of how much you want to go down per day. I, I don't know numbers off the top of my head anymore. It's been a while, but each time you find something, you um, plot it and you're in there in a little map that you have, plot where it was. Then you take a picture of it, label it, put it in the bag to be analyzed later. And you keep on going, keep digging around 10. It's cookie break. I don't know if all archaeologists have cookie break, but we did. It's a nice pick me up because we wake up around, we woke up at 536, breakfast at 630, dig by 715. You have a pretty early morning, mainly because it's so hot in Texas in the summer. And even in early summer, you can't keep going all day. And then, after lunch we we would typically work until around three ish three ish or so, just depending on the day. if we were right in the middle of something, we'd keep going. if we were done early, we'd be done early, especially at a field school you're there to learn about like one it's once we started finding things, it became more about like okay what what is what's going on here but a field school really it was intended to be like teach you how to be an archaeologist, teach you how to perform a dig, do it the right way and so after. We were done for the day, pack up everything, cover up the the plot the squares that we were digging, put all the gear away, things like that. Then we'd go swimming the river. Beautiful place to be swimming, too. Yeah, I'll send you
0: a picture of that. We even did a whole episode about San Marcos and spending time on the river.
1: We also, this is, Way Ranch is a hunting ranch most of the year. It is a beautiful place, and so we were lucky enough to have something like we had a giant house that we could, like, cook our meals in and things like that. We were very, very spoiled. You weren't roughing it as much. Not even a little bit. Okay, so I will send you this right here. This is of our campsite. Oh, I see your old
0: car. It's your uh, Yeah,
1: I know. Mustang. My Mustang. That was a great car.
0: Oh, that's a nice it, area. You got cornhole. It was.
1: We did have <laughs> cornhole.
0: Oh, that's a beautiful view of the river. Wow.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I, I think about that a lot. I have a picture of how clear the water is. San Marcos has the cleanest water in the country from what I've been told. Really?
0: Yeah. It's like seven times cleaner than the national drinking water standard. That's why those salamanders can live there.
1: Hmm. So you can just stick your head in
0: there and just take a gulp. I mean, I wouldn't, but theoretically... theoretically. Oh, an arrowhead. You know, it's always been one of my dreams to find an arrowhead. Just wandering around to like find an arrowhead. (laughs) Like That's like every Boy Scout's dream. Just every kid's dream
1: to discover an arrowhead. Every kid's dream. It's mine or was mine. I've found a lot, but (laughs) so we were very spoiled, very spoiled. Most field schools aren't like that. (laughs) Most are very much rough in it, but you know, we, we had a great time. I wouldn't trade that experience for anything, even though I ended up again, not being a professional archeologist. I got a lot out of it. And I want to talk about that for a little bit because a lot of people. End up not doing what they thought they would. Yeah. You, for example, (laughs) you (laughs) ended up being a teacher. For me, I was going to be an archaeologist and now I'm working on IT stuff. Mm -hmm. Like my wife is a psychology major with a master's degree and she's a software developer. Yeah. So a lot of people end up not doing what they went to school for or what they thought they would do. And that's okay. You know, I struggled a long time when I decided to not go to grad school, then I was giving up on something right. or I was failing some people. That's just not the case. The reasoning behind me not pursuing archaeology as a career was that, one, I, I mainly I could not do what drew me to archaeology in the first place mm. as a valid career okay. without being a professor. And I did not have the desire to go get a PhD.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a big commitment. I mean, a PhD is a very big commitment. That's another decade of your life maybe between the masters and the phd and your research and all of that yes
1: and for the people that do that more power to them i have nothing but respect but for it wasn't for me and i it took me a long time to be okay with that to be okay and, and understand that i wasn't failing people or just letting people down because I didn't end up doing this as a career for a while. I just ignored it entirely. I didn't try to keep up with it. I didn't do anything. It was, it was kind of like I was avoiding thinking about it, but I, I sort of had a heart to heart with myself and realized, look, I can still love all the things that I loved about it and I can still be involved and I can still pursue those things without making money off of it. So for anyone out there that maybe doesn't know what they want to do, or is struggling with something like me, something that was affecting me, which is you end up doing something that's not even close to what you thought you would. Yeah, you know it's okay to still enjoy the other thing. You know, you have an international relations major. Yeah, yeah. you still find, you know, diplomacy and politics and very very interesting. Oh, I follow world news all the time. Yeah, very closely. And so that's that's sort of where I want to maybe kind of start wrapping this up is that, you know, it's okay.
0: Right. It's okay to be an amateur. Like I said, do it for the Mm -hmm. love of something, not because it's your profession. I think that's a more pure motive anyway.
1: Yeah. This can kind of go back to, in a way, our gatekeeping episode. There are certain things like archaeology that that people do tend to gatekeep because, and I understand the reasoning, is that for me, archaeology is not about finding the coolest artifact. It's not about that kind of thing. It's about answering questions that affect the human story. And the answers are the reward, not the things you find. The things you find are a mean to get the answers. Now, a lot of archeological records have been damaged by people taking everything. You know, you find something, it's cool. You pick it up. Most of the time it means nothing. 99% of the time you find a stone tool, take it on with you. It doesn't mean anything, but. You know, there have been, especially for historical archaeology or classical archaeology, things like mummies that were found, you know, or like Egyptian artifacts that were found in people's homes because they just bought them. The Victorians and this is a different. them up and drink them as a tonic. Yeah, I not <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. Um, <laughs> in that aspect, I think archaeologists tend to, gatekeep may not be the right word, but it's, it's, they're very, very protective over things because yeah. there is a right way to do it and you know people being an archaeologist is not like indiana jones mm. it's not if anything indiana jones is a terrible archaeologist <laughs> he's a he's a tomb he's a tomb robber like he's not a, <laughs> he's not an archaeologist you well, shouldn't be, be fair, breaking into things
0: in the first movie he was kind of forced to by the government because the nazis were on the trail he was in the second movie I don't know. He was just in India for some reason. And third movie he <laughs> was also, well, oh, he's trying to find his dad. So like, it wasn't like he was actually working in any of those. He was just doing stuff. He no, just, he never actually worked. And those are all the movies that there are until the fifth movie comes out, which is really weird that they skipped the fourth one, but.
1: Yeah. Why'd uh, why they do that? But anyway, that's not what archaeology is. No, it's not like I wish it was. I wish I could tell you that we're all Indiana Jones, <laughs> and at some level, every archaeologist thinks he's Indiana Jones. Right. It would be. And fun they're not.
0: I would say. I will say that. That'd be. That'd it be would be fun.
1: Wow. <laughs> hey, it's it's possible again, and you know what? There is a there is a great um, segment from a John Mulaney stand up special things like and there's nazis again i don't care for these new nazis <laughs> and you can quote me on that i do not care for these new nazis
0: <laughs> no james i think i think we can go as far as to say that the attempt adventure podcast is very much anti-nazi but, uh, anyway <laughs> so yes we are definitely against fascism in
1: principle <laughs> <laughs> yep just as a whole so <laughs> yes. and in practice yeah. And, yeah yeah in principle practice Any way you look at it we are against fascism and again, if we lose listeners from that, please leave. <laughs> yeah, we don't
0: if you're a, if you're actually a Nazi and you're enjoying our show, um <laughs> you missed the point. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh man. Anyway.
0: <laughs> I would like to do an episode, James, that sort of inspires me in the future about amateur adventures. Like, for example, if yes. you want to do this, but you don't have the skills or experience, do this instead. You know, so maybe we can do an episode where we each have five like big adventures, and we think of like alternatives, amateur ways to still experience that. Let's work on that. I think that would be a really interesting yeah. third part to this this series, the gatekeeping uh, amateur sort of series of of three. That would be a great follow up to this one. We don't have to be all or nothing, especially when it comes to adventures. I mean, that was the entire point of this show. We don't have to climb Mount Everest. We can just go on an overnight camping trip. We don't have to go parasailing in the Swiss Alps.
1: How How are you going parasailing in the Alps? I don't know. I'm just, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to know now because I want to do that. <laughs> I clearly don't know what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> I think i, I think mean you in paragliding. paragliding. Yeah. They, got, they got lakes. You could probably they do, do it. You probably could actually, you probably could. But uh, regardless, um, <laughs> the, the point is that that was kind of the point of this show. Adventure doesn't have to be all or nothing. You know, we do talk to real adventurers who have done these big things, but that's as inspiration. Mm-hmm. You yourself don't have to have done these big things to call yourself an adventurer. We call ourselves archaeologists. We adventurers. haven't done those big things. No, we call ourselves adventurers still, and it was really weird at first because of that imposter syndrome. But I've kind of gotten over it now. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm calling myself an adventurer, and I think you should too. And listeners, you should too. And James, you should call yourself an archaeologist. I don't think it has to be all or nothing. All right. All right. Well, folks, if you have an experience that you'd like to share, um, archaeological or otherwise, please write in hello at attemptadventure.com. We would love to hear from you. Send us some listener mail. It would be awesome and very, very much appreciated. All right, James. It is time for Adventures in the News, and this week it is my turn, and I've got this one. Here we go. This is about a dream job. Wanted. Desert Island Resort in Maldives seeks barefoot bookseller. White sands, blue skies, and lots of books. Applications have opened for what might just be the best job in the world, running a bookshop on a luxury desert island in the Maldives. On the remote island of, and please forgive me, uh, Kunfunda. Uh, oh gosh, Kun. Fundahu, Kunfunhu. Kun fun, kun kun that one. K-U-N-F-U-N-A-D-H-O-O. <laughs> Kunfunadhu in the Indian Ocean. The book selling takes place barefoot because no shoes are allowed to be worn on the island. So reading a newspaper is even frowned upon. It says the ethos of the island is no shoes, no news. They encourage guests to unplug and reconnect with the ground. Um, it's kind of a hippie place, but it's an extremely high res- luxury, luxury resort. And it says, guests at the resort, usually high net worth individuals are encouraged to switch off from the digital world. And they're looking for a bookseller. I mean, that sounds like a pretty cool job to me. So kind of an adventure in a the very plan. different way. Yeah. I will uh, share the link so you can, uh, apply James. You can, you can apply for this. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Any of our listeners also apply. And if you get the job, please let us come visit. I don't know how that works, but just do it. Well, yeah, we'll try there. We can be a, can be a guest, <laughs> but you have to be in person. <laughs> Gosh, well, That's awesome.
0: These kind of opportunities come up from time to time. They're always really interesting. And I'm always curious about the people who get them and who end up taking them. Um, so there we go. So if, if you have a job like that, or if you know anyone that does have a job like that, let us know. I'd love to hear about it. We're talking about Mm -hmm. unusual jobs today or or doing things that are different from what you studied to do. And I'm sure nobody in the world studied to be a barefoot bookseller. So if you have a weird job like that or a fun, exciting, unusual, adventurous job, write in hello at attemptadventure.com. We want to hear from you. Well, folks, if you enjoyed the show today, don't forget to subscribe and please consider giving us a review on your podcast app of choice. Just maybe a five-star review if you're feeling extra generous, but an honest review all the same. It really does help us out. You can find more Attempt Adventure content on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, where we are, Attempt Adventure. As always, you can send listener mail, hello at attemptadventure.com, or go to the Contact Us button on the website. We love hearing from you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. We've got a lot of great content coming out for you soon, so please stay tuned every week on Attempt Adventure. And until next time, keep adventuring.